We're going to talk about book 16 and 17 of Homer's Odyssey. Yesterday, we saw a vagrant beggar, actually it was Odysseus, make it to the house of, what is the name of that swine herd that he meets that was so hospitable to him? Yes? Eumaeus. Eumaeus is the Brits call him. And what is it that greeted Odysseus as he approached Eumaeus' house in a sort of chaotic and terrifying way? Yes? His dogs. It's like he's the proverbial. Do you know who the great enemy of all dogs in America is? Who comes to your door and delivers to you pieces of paper and often packages? Mailman. The, the mailman. Right. And so Eumaeus throws sticks, stones, says, no, no, don't hit that man because he honors the what? The zinnia, obviously. And even though, ah, yes, ooh, some bonus questions here. Odysseus doesn't yet give the name he's going to give. His name will be Ithon or Ethon, A-E or I, excuse me, A-I-T-H-O-N. <laughs> Where is it that he says that he is from when he is lying to this Eumaeus? Yes, Crete, very good. And whose son does he say that he has killed? He was one of the captains in, in the Iliad, yes? It is Idomeneus, and just interesting for you is Idomeneus is supposedly the grandson of King Minos. Do any of you remember what's special about King Minos? He was the first ever king of Crete. He was the father of the Minotaur. He was the son of Zeus, and he will be, and he is the what of the dead? Yes, the judge of the dead, not only in Homer, but also, also in the Inferno as well. You'll see him with a... Do any of you remember what sort of tail he has? He has a snake tail. Yes, very interesting. Very, very interesting. And so, Odysseus several times sort of tests the hypo or the zinnia or the hospitality of Eumaeus. Eumaeus continues to be successful, continues to be successful. And the very last test that he sort of gave is he told a story about being cold during Troy so that he could get a what out of Eumaeus so that he would be warm at night? A coat or a mantle. Very good. And so, we then saw Athena go to which land where Telemachus was sleeping? Yes, Sparta. Sparta, very good. And he was still with which son of Nestor there? Yes? Pesistratos. Telemachus wants to leave when, but Pesistratos says, no, actually we have to wait until when? Yes? At night, very good, immediately. But Pesistratos, that's a hard word to say, says, no, we should wait until when to get some what's? So that we can get some what's from them? Some gifts, right. What very strange gift does, or not very strange, but I thought was very strange, gift does Helen give to Telemachus? Not only the Hephaestian bowl, that's a nice gift, but... She gives him a rope for his wife. A rope for his wife, and why did we sort of arch our eyebrow at that? Why did we find that a little bit curious coming from Helen, of all people, yes? He doesn't have a wife. Well, he doesn't have a wife, that's fair, that's fair, sure. Because she has not had good luck with marriage. And so we might think that any gift from her to someone we're married to might be what? Cursed, right? Cursed. But it does also tell us something interesting. The whole reason Athena sent Telemachus off on this journey was to turn him from a what into a what? Boy to a man. To make his own name. Biff Helen is giving him a gift for his future wife. How is it that she is looking at this young man. Mm -hmm. 
she must see him as a man. That's right. Is that a major accomplishment for Telemachus? I mean, how was he treated by the suitors when we first saw him? He tried to call an assembly. Did they respect him and listen to him? No, they treated him like he was a little punk what? Boy, kid, yeah. So he makes it back home. How is it that the dogs act when Telemachus shows up to Maius's house? They're apparently very vicious to strangers. Yes? They fawn around him. What does that tell you about Telemachus? Two things, at least. That he's very friendly to animals, but also what? That they must what him? Know him, which means that he must spend time with whom? Eumaeus, which means that he's very arrogant or humble as a person. Because he's spending time with a what? Like a swine herd. I mean, can you imagine how dirty a swine herd would be all the time? What do pigs live in? Mud. Right, exactly. Interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Well, Eumaeus gets sent off by Telemachus to go tell who that who is back. Only this person is to know that Telemachus is back, yes? Penelope, why is it very, very, very important that only Penelope know that Telemachus is back? Yes? They might kill him because what is it that they recently attempted to do but failed to do because of Athena? Yes? Ambush and kill him. So this is a serious situation now, is it not? This is very much like Agamemnon returning to his home. This is sort of a wartime situation. Telemachus is going to have to make it home, knowing that the people in his home have tried to kill him. I want you to think about how much rage and resentment you would have for these people. They've been eating up your substance for years. They've been mistreating your mom. They've been laying with your, your serving maids. They've been punking you. And now they're going to sit there and eat your food and try and court your mom after having tried to kill you? And they're going to mistreat your father and throw things at him? When he comes back as a just lord, and you're going to have to sit back and take it. How's that going to feel? You going to like that at all? You going to want to punch them all in the face or stab a lance through their hearts? Are you allowed to? No. You got to keep it all where? You got to keep it on the inside. You need to keep it close to the chest. Is that easy for a young person to do? Is that easy for an any person to do? No, absolutely not. So this next challenge isn't only going to be physical, but what? E emotional, right? He's going to have to keep his emotions in check. Is that an easy thing to do? You get mad, your first thing, thinking, hmm, perhaps I should reflect on this situation or throw things everywhere around you. Think about it. In any case, let's get to what we're starting today. Athena appears. And again, recall that the gods do or do not manifest themselves to all humans. Now, everybody can't see them. So first off, Odysseus sees her. And also, do you recall which other creature sees and notices her? The dogs. The dogs notice her as well. Good. The dogs and Odysseus notice, but not Telemachus. He's not quite as perspicacious. Or, or he does not yet have the acuity of sight that his father does. Odysseus then walks outside, and she commands Odysseus to reveal himself. And then she takes her wand, because how is it that Odysseus looks at this particular moment exactly like how he usually does, or? He looks like a beggar. He looks, like he looks old, hunched over, not super uh, kingly looking, right? He looks even weaker than when he when Polyphemus saw him and said, you look like kind of a weak man. I expect a very strong man to be one who blinded me, because Polyphemus sees what's going on around him, or does not see. Does not see. He doesn't understand anything, even after it happens, which we would call... Uh, Brilliant or moronic? moronic? 
moronic, that's right. And so, you know, he's a big brute. In any case, she goes, pop, bops him on the head, and bam, all of a sudden, taller, thicker, younger looking. And even supposedly his, his cheeks have the red blush of youth on them, the red blush of youth. If you ever look at, say, pictures of, like, little baby angels, do any of you know what the little baby angels with, like, the harps are? They're called, they're called cherubs, so cherubim. You often see that they're painted with little red cheeks. That's supposedly uh, an attribute of youth, to be very red-blooded. Old people start to get kind of what? They start to get pale, supposedly, because their what doesn't, doesn't run quite as well as it did when they were young. Their blood, their blood. Perhaps that's wrong, but I think that's probably pretty close to right. In any case, Odysseus is now looking pretty bad, pretty good. Pretty good, and last time he showed himself to a young person, Nausicaa, looking pretty good, she thought he was a what? And now this happens again. Telemachus thinks that he is a god. In fact, open up to page 244, 245. Let's see it together. Let us see it together. We're going to start at the bottom of 244. Let's start at 167. 167. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. I haven't had enough coffee today. Mmm. Excellent. Excellent tasting coffee. Son of Laertes and seed of Zeus, resourceful Odysseus, it is time now to tell your son the story. No longer hide it, so the contriving death and doom for the suitors, you too may go to the glorious city. I myself shall not be long absent from you in my eagerness for the fighting. She is, of course, a what god? War god. War god, very good. So spoke Athena. And with her golden wand, she tapped him. First, she made the mantle and the tunic that covered his chest turn bright, and clean. She increased his strength and stature. His dark color came back to him again. His jaws firmed, and the beard that grew about his chin turned black. Athena went away once more, having done her work, but Odysseus went back into the shelter. I want you really to feel this moment. You've never, ever met your father. You've spent your entire life getting punked by other people, having a harder life than you would have had with a father. Every day of your life, you thought how much better your life would be if your dad were around. And everything you've ever heard about your dad means that he's a great man or not a great man. A great man. I want you to really think about how this would feel. His beloved son was astonished and turned his eyes in the other direction, fearing this must be a god. So he goes, huh? And spoke aloud to him and addressed him in winged words, Suddenly you have changed, my friend. From what you were formerly, your skin is no longer as it was. You have other clothing. Surely you are one of the gods who hold the high heaven. Be gracious then. So we shall give you favored offerings and golden gifts that have been well wrought. Only be merciful. Hmm. Then in turn, long-suffering great Odysseus answered him, No, I am not a god. Why liken me to the immortals? But I am your father for whose sake you are always grieving as you look for violence from others and endure hardships. I want you to imagine what your heart would feel like in that moment when he says, I am your father. Do you believe him? Do you disbelieve him? Do you yell at him in anger? How would you feel? How would you feel putting yourself in his shoes? Would you believe it? It'd be unbelievable, right? He's dead. He's gone. He doesn't care about you. He's not coming back. And yet, here he is. No, 
You, you are not Odysseus, my father, but some di divinity beguiles me so that I must grieve the more and be sorry. For no man who was mortal could ever have so contrived it by his own mind alone, not unless some immortal, descending on him in person, were likely to make him a young or an old man. For even now you were an old man in unseemly clothing, but now you resemble one of the gods who hold wide heaven. That's a pretty clever thing for him to say. He's like, you were definitely an old beggar-looking guy. Now you're like a handsome god-looking man. Obviously you're a what? Because can humans just immediately change their appearance to go from old to young again? No, absolutely not. Not, a, not an unwise thing for Telemachus to say. Then the source will Odysseus spoke and turned and answered him. Telemachus uses his name. Can you imagine that? Hearing your name spoken by your father for the first time, who you've never seen, who you hear is a great person. It does not become you to wonder too much at your own father when he is here, nor doubt him. Ooh, sounds like a father. No other Odysseus than I will ever come back to you. But here I am, and I am as you see me, and after hardships and suffering, much I have come in the twentieth year back to my own country. But here you see the work of Athena, the giver of plunder. Why is Athena the giver of plunder? Because what is it that makes you most capable of acquiring what you want? The use of your what? Yes? Mind. The use of your mind. Very good. Very good who turns me into whatever she pleases since she can do this, and now she will make me look like a beggar, but then the next time like a young man, and wearing splendid clothes on my body. And it is a light thing for the gods who hold wide heaven to glorify any mortal man, or else to degrade him. So he spoke and sat down again, but now Telemachus folded his great father in his arms and lamented, <laughs> shedding tears and desire for morning rose in both of them, and they cried, shrill and appulsing voice, <laughs> Ah! <laughs> Why are they crying? Seems like a happy moment. Why is it also a sad moment? Because in this moment, what does Odysseus also realize? We've talked about this. Yes? That he's missed out on his whole childhood. He's missed out on the entire childhood of Telemachus, and perhaps Telemachus is also forgiving Odysseus for missing his childhood, and yet also this, this, this sadness, this crying, is perhaps all the emotion, all the negative emotion he has ever felt because of his father not being there. It's like it's a great moment of forgiveness or of release, finally. I can only imagine what the reaction of who will be when she sees this guy and knows him to be who he is. Yes? My goodness. You all are aware that what does she do every single night before she goes to bed after seeing inferior men try to court her all day long? Yes? Cries and weeps. Cries and weeps until who relieves her of her suffering? By putting her to sleep. Yes? Athena. Athena. Very good. Very good. Shedding tears and desire for morning rose in both of them, and they cried shrill in a pulsing voice. <laughs> Even more than the outcry of birds, ospreys, or vultures with hooked claws. That's pretty loud, right? Because, like, a, how's a, anybody able to do a good hawk voice? Like, or something like that. So they're pretty loud. Pretty loud, like, <laughs> are they feeling it? They're feeling it. Whose children were stolen away by the men of the fields before their wings grew strong. Such was their pitiful cry and their tears, and the tears their eyes wept. And now with the light of the sun would have set on their crying. Now the light of the sun would have set on their crying. Had not Telemachus spoken a quick word to his father, what kind of ship was it, your father dear, in which the sailors brought you to Ithaca? What men do they claim that they are? For I do not think you could have traveled on foot to this country. Very interesting. Telemachus immediately starts to ask 
Odysseus questions of how he got there. That reminds us a bit of whom. What other person is very good at orienting himself by asking appropriate questions in order to understand the situation he finds himself in? Odysseus. Telemachus is very like Odysseus. All right, and close your books. Let's get ready to take some notes again. Very touching scene, very touching scene. I want you to think about that. These heroes often cry, don't they? Who else did we see cry in book 16 of the Iliad when he returned to the camp of Achilleus? Because he's just fed up with it all. Yes. Patroclus. Patroclus. And, hmm, I, I can't quite recall. Did Agamemnon break into tears when Menelaus was shot by the arrow of Pandaros? I know he was sad. He was definitely sad because he thought that his name would forever be cursed or held in infamy because he had ten times more men than the Trojans and thought he was about to lose the war. But perhaps he cried then too. We see a lot of tears, a lot of tears in these books. In any case, they embrace and cry, and Telemachus questions his father. This is an excellent picture, I think. It's like he's fallen to his knees. Who's that in the background of this picture, obviously, with a wand? Mm-hmm. Athena, very good. And there's Odysseus sitting there in front of his son. It's a very tender-looking moment. I mean, it's like Telemachus is draped about Odysseus. Like, he's just totally given in to the moment. All right, very good. Well, we've embraced, we've shared some emotion, but we still have business to which we must attend. What is it we need to take care of back in our house? We've got some suitors, like ticks on a dog, and we've got to pry them all off. And, well, there are quite a few of them. There are quite a few of them. Not going to be so easy a task. In fact, Odysseus will be wondering with Athena in the next couple books how it will even be possible that he can take out all of these suitors. And Athena will say, even if there were 50 times as many men, if I were on your side, no problem. And so, Odysseus first asks, how many are there and which men are there there? And Telemachus explains that I believe there are something like 52 men from Dulichion. Uh, that's where Antinous and Amphinomus are from. There are like 24 men from either Same or Sigenthos or, or um, Neratos. There are 12 from another place and 20 from another place. There are 108 total men. So, wow, there's one Odysseus, one Telemachus. How many men do they have at their disposal? Dotes, two. Maybe Eumaeus will help them too at some point. Three. Three, two, two and a half, three against 108. Good odds. Very bad odds, very bad odds, if, if the numbers are the only way by which we judge. But who is on the side of Odysseus? Mm-hmm. Athena, because he upholds the justice of the divine. Who or what is it that the suitors are very, very bad at honoring? The Xenia. And so who would we imagine is against the suitors, even as numerous as they happen to be, Yes. Zeus. So, if you look at the situation in that way, does it seem like a good situation or a bad situation for the suitors, even though they have a tremendous numerical advantage? Pretty bad, even though there are 50 times more men, 54 times more men, than uh, Odysseus has, which is incredible. Which is incredible. It's like a rotten tree, even if it's a thousand feet tall, is not as strong as a strong tree, which is a hundred feet tall. Hmm. Or, I guess in this case, 20 feet tall. All right, Odysseus asks whether Athena and Zeus might even the odds. The answer is obviously yes. Odysseus will infiltrate the house, he says. We know that he's good at this. When do we know him to have infiltrated another place? 
Where is it he infiltrated? In the disguise of a beggar also, in order to steal the Palladium, the, the statue of Pallas Athena. Yes? It was Troy. Actually, who caught him when he was in there? Yes? Helen. Helen. It was a lady. He will get caught by one lady in, who knows him very well, in Ithaca, too. Do any of you recall from your reading which lady will catch him? Yes? You're a clear. How is it that she will catch him? Uh, the scar on his knee. A scar on his knee. Yes. Very good. Very good. Very good. And so this is the plan. Telemachus, or Odysseus, is going to come separately from Telemachus back to his house. He's going to show up there with Eumaeus. And after he's going to run into a nasty piece of work named... Anybody remember what the name of the goat herd is yet? Give it a shot. Give it a mm -hmm. shot. Melanthios. And he actually has a pretty nasty sister who's a serving maid who's been laying with Eurymachus. Anybody remember what her name is? She's the one that's constantly insulting the beggar. Her name is Melantho. They will both have rather nasty... <clears throat> keep them in mind. They will both have sort of nasty ends coming about soon enough. So if you get angry at them while we're talking, just hold on to that anger for a little while. They'll, they will get theirs, as we say. So Telemachus must allow the suitors to insult and abuse Odysseus. I want you to think about how that would feel. You know that this man being insulted is the rightful lord of the house. You know also that the men doing the insulting are, in your estimation, worthless scum who want to steal what is yours and have been stealing what is yours without producing any good thing. They are like what's on a what, if you think of Argos the dog. Ticks on a dog. They're vicious what suckers. Blood suckers, right. They, they suck out the lifeblood of Ithaca without adding to it at all. Well... Telemachus is going to have to watch Odysseus take it. And he's going to have multiple things thrown at him. He's going to get kicked in, kicked in the hip by Melanthios. He's going to have a footstool thrown at him by Antinous. He's going to have another footstool thrown at him by Eurymachus. He's going to have a hoof thrown at him by a guy called Ctesippus. And so it's going to be a bummer. It's going to be a tough time. But at the right moment, Telemachus has to hatch the plan. Apparently in the Great Hall, there are several weapons alongside the wall. Telemachus needs to say, mm, all these fires that we keep lighting in order to make the food, ash is coming off them and it's tarnishing the weapons. So we're going to need to take the weapons off the walls and go clean them. That will mean that should Odysseus and Telemachus want to bar the doors at both ends of the Great Hall, the suitors will not have access to any additional what's to help them. Weapons. And so if we have some weapons like arrows, and they don't have any weapons, what might we just do at our leisure with them? One by one. Yes. Yes, very intelligent plan. So he has to trick them and say the smoke is ruining them. When was the last time we saw... Mm, not necessarily the last time. When in the Iliad did we see someone, god or mortal, successfully tell a lie in order to deceive the people around her in order to get what it was she wanted. I'm thinking around books 14 and 15 when Poseidon was on the battlefield. Yes? Hera. Hera, Hera yes, yeah, she was pretty good at telling the story. Sometimes you have to make a ruse. Perhaps if you're outnumbered or outmatched in terms of strength, you have to out-what your opponent. 
outsmart them, outthink them. That's right, we did that. When did we see that? Obviously happened during the Odyssey, of course. Large monster, little Odysseus, yes? With Polyphemus the Cyclops. And so he says the smoke is burning in these weapons, and also wine might incline you towards violence. Very wise thing to say. You're drinking a bunch of wine, smarter or stupider? Stupider. You get angry at somebody. There's a sword on the wall. What might you, in your brilliant state, put together as a plan? Go grab a sword, kill once friend, now enemy. Oof. Athena will then maze their wits and make them stupidly agree with this. He, apparently she has sort of the ability that the Old Testament God has over Pharaoh in the Exodus story. Sort of like how God hardens the heart of Pharaoh in order to make him make a bad decision. She, as goddess of wisdom, can make you smart, but she can also make you what? Stupid. Yes, yes. So Odysseus will then judge the faith of the women, including Penelope. When he gets into that house, he has 50 serving women. He's going to have to see who is loyal, who is not loyal. A little spoiler, 38 are loyal, 12 are not loyal. They are disloyal. He will figure that out himself. He will also test his wife because, of course, who was it that killed Agamemnon? So is anything certain to Odysseus at this point? No. He does not know who his friends are. He does not know who his enemies are. So you might change scene. We are in Ithaca, the manor of Odysseus. Eumaeus reports of Telemachus's return to Penelope. The suitors are enraged and discouraged by this news because obviously they had planned a what that they now know has failed. An ambush, yes, very good. And so Eurymachus summons back the ambush. Amphinimus, and I want you to remember this suitor's name, because he will be a suitor that Odysseus, as a beggar, has a chance to talk to. And Odysseus, as a beggar, will talk to him and say, I knew your father, he was a good man, and I really wish that you would leave this place, especially tomorrow. But Amphinimus will not take his good advice. Wait, who was his father? Amphinimus' his father? Yeah. You can check in your glossary. You can check in your glossary. In any case... There is one story I will tell you, which is there are two stories in which Penelope cheats on Odysseus. In one of them, the person that she cheats on him with is Amphinimus, because he is kinder than the other suitors. That said, he will not be spared. Antinous had led the ambush, and like Agamemnon, because he's such a great leader, Blames the gods for his failure, which is technically true, but you might say that in pitting himself so strongly against the Zinnia, he brought about his own failure. He could have never been successful. In any case, let us now plan to kill him, Antinous says. The people no longer favor us as they did, or we need to give better gifts and quickly marry. They're starting to feel the noose tighten around their necks, these suitors, and we will see more and more and more signs that they are going to die. I mean, in fact, we've already seen two signs, right? We saw Helen back in Sparta see an eagle kill a what? A goose. We saw Theoclymenus saw a hawk. I think it got a dove. And he interprets that as the suitor's going to die. We'll see, or rather, we will see that very soon. And then we'll hear about Penelope having a dream about an eagle killing 20 geese. And the eagle says, no, I'm Odysseus, and I'm here to kill the suitors. 
And that will be a very interesting moment, too. The signs are piling up. Theoclimenus will see, see another sign, too, where the suitors all laugh outrageously, and he'll say, you already look like dead men. The signs are pointing in which direction? More and more and more and more and more. That the suitors are going to what? Die, yes. Yet they, like Polyphemus, do they see what's happening around them while it is happening? Yeah. No, they do not. They're what to it? Blind. Amphidemus sort of stands up for Telemachus here. Not because he loves Telemachus, but because he thinks the signs are not favorable to killing him. He says, I will only kill Telemachus if Zeus sends a sign to me telling me to. The others agree. They're starting to get nervous. They're like, perhaps some of our actions have consequences. Some of our plans have started to fail. Things aren't quite feeling right anymore. Things are starting to change around the suitors. Are they, to some extent, starting to feel that they are slipping, that their control of the situation is leaving their, them, that they are losing control? Yes, yes. Penelope descends to the suitors while they are plotting the destruction of her son. It's got to be a nice moment. The herald Medon had told Penelope about the plot of the suitors, so now she knows that the men in her castle, or not castle, but rather manor, it's sort of like a palace, it's not that big, I'll show you a picture at some point. She knows that these men are men who have tried to kill her own son. You can only imagine how she would feel in that moment. She chastises Antinous. And she brings up the fact that, speaking of fathers, Antinous, you're pretty thankless. Your father, Eupathes, when the Thest Protians wanted him dead, Odysseus paid him, paid off his debt. Odysseus saved your father. And now, how are you trying to repay him? By killing his son? What emotion does that arouse in all of you? Utter contempt and disgust for him? This guy should be on his knees thanking Odysseus every single day of his life. And yet he's trying to take his wife and kill his son? My goodness. Great character this Antinous has. Well, Eurymachus then says, oh, and he's so smarmy about this. Oh, I'm tempted to read it to you. He is, uh, he's played by Eric Roberts in the NBC version of this movie, and he's known to be, he's very charismatic, but smarmy is a negative way of being charismatic. He says, daughter of Icarius, line 436. Circumspect Penelope, do not fear. Never let your heart be troubled for these things. The man is not living, nor will there be one, nor can there ever be one, who shall lay hands upon your son Telemachus, as long as I am alive on earth. Ugh! Vomit! Blah! Ugh! He's claiming that as long as he's alive, he'll protect Telemachus. He's, he is trying to be directly responsible for what happening to Telemachus. He's lying through his teeth. He's disgusting. In any case. As long as I am alive on earth and look in the daylight, for I tell you this straight out, and it will be a thing accomplished. Instantly his own black bud will stain my spear point, my own spear. Since, oh, since often Odysseus sacrificed cities would seat me also upon his knees and put pieces of roasted meat in my hands and hold the red wine out to me, therefore of all men Telemachus is dearest to me by far. And I tell him to go in no fear of destruction from the suitors, but if it comes from the gods, there is no escaping it. So we find out that the two leaders of the suitors both owe quite a bit to Odysseus. Odysseus apparently used to 
hold Eurymachus on his knee and feed him meat. This reminds, this reminds us of which relationship in the Iliad quite a bit. Who, who was a nice old man who would hold who on his knee and hand him some wine, and then he would get vomited on his tunic? Yes? Phoenix and Achilles. Right, right. So all of these men owe Odysseus quite a bit. Are they repaying him very well? No. They'll get theirs, though. They'll get theirs. This is a wonderful picture. Penelope looked very happy or sad here. Pretty resigned to her fate, too, I would say. Eumaeus returns home. The suitors have returned, he reports back. He saw the ambush party come back from the hill of Hermes. Don't worry about writing this. In any case, Telemachus then heads out. It's time for him to head back to his home. And time is moving fast here. Time is moving fast. Time is going to start moving quicker. And he commands Eumaeus to bring the beggar to the city to beg. He says, okay, you've held this man long enough. Bring him to the city. Even though there are suitors there and he's obviously going to be mistreated, you need to bring him to my house. Odysseus, as beggar, ascends, ascends and says, okay, okay. And so now we're going to run into our first nasty, nasty little obstacle. Mm, very good, very good. Right after this, so Telemachus reaches home. He lays down his spear. You don't take your spear inside your home. When did we want to see somebody take his spear into the home of his brother in a very rude way in the Iliad, book six? Yes? Hector into whose home? Paris. Paris is. Very good. And so Telemachus is first seen by Euryclea, and she bursts into tears because possibly she thought that she would never what him again. See him again because when he went out on the sea, well, the suitors then sent out an ambush, which very well could have caught him and then killed him. That did not happen. That makes her very what? Relieved and happy. Very good. And like Eumaeus' dogs, the maids fawn on him. Like his father, he is well-loved. People like Telemachus. Good people like Telemachus. Penelope also descends the stairs and bursts into tears because, of course, she knew that Telemachus was um, she knew that Telemachus was out on the sea. She also knew that there was a plot to destroy him from Medon the Herald because he is loyal to the family still. Almost as if both expected he might die because he was a child when he left and he could not what himself protect himself, defend himself. And so Penelope asks for a report, what's happened? But Telemachus takes command and orders her to prepare a hecatomb to pray to Zeus for an end to the suitor's occupation. That's a very powerful moment in the Odyssey. Because who is now giving the commands in the house of Odysseus? Penelope or Telemachus? It's like Telemachus is the what of the house now. And to be the man of the house, you've got to be a what? You've got to be a man. And so, Telemachus seems much changed, and Penelope will even mention this. He also mentions that there is some new guest who will be showing up soon. We won't think much of him at first, but he will be there. All right, just a couple more slides today. So just as Hecuba prayed to Athena at Hector's command, so does Penelope obey. She obeys the man of the house, this new man of the house. Telemachus walks the city, and Athena drifts grace on him. And now when people look at him, ooh, snap. It's like his shoulders have gotten broader, and he stands with them back, and it talks with a deeper voice. He walks around, and all the people now watch him, and the suitors, they mutter to each other. People are like, dang, look at, the, look at Telemachus. 
He was a boy when he left. Now he looks like a what? And a man who might take care of business. What business is it you think he wants to take care of first? Dealing with those suitors. And so the suitors are muttering amongst themselves like mean girls at lunch. And they're like, and so Telemachus ignores them, walks right through them, goes to sit with Mentor, who was the head of the house when he was young. Halitherses, who of course is a prophet, who is not listened to by the suitors, and Antiphus. Now his crewmate Pariahs, Telemachus approaches, and he says for him to send his women to collect the gifts from Menelaus that he brought home. He also sends Theoclymenus home with him. We'll see Theoclymenus really only one more time. He'll give a prophecy about the suitors dying. Will they listen? No, because they don't take the signs that are apparent to them. That is part of what leads them to their demise. You have to pay what to be successful in this world? Attention. Telemachus even shows some elements of strong leadership and recognition of the potential of fate here. He says, the gifts that you hide in your home that Menelaus gave to me, I want you to keep in your home. Why would he want the gifts not to be brought to Ithaca? Or, excuse me, not brought to his house in Ithaca, but left in his friend's house? What must he think is a definite possibility? That the suitors will what him and then take his gifts? Kill him. Kill him. He thinks that there is a possibility of not being successful. If you are about to go into a battle, is there a possibility that you will lose? That's a very mature or immature thing to understand. Very mature. And so he says, if I die, divide up my gifts and give them as you please. And if I do not die, bring those gifts back to my home and enrich me. Let's hope that that's what happens. In any case, Telemachus returns to the palace, bathes, and reports to Penelope, Penelope now with Theoclemenus, again, or not with Theoclemenus at this point. Theoclemenus was sent home with Pariahs. At dinner, Penelope says she will just retire to her quarters to cry if Telemachus has no news of Odysseus. Very sad. Very sad guilt trip. Very mom-like of Penelope there. And Telemachus does describe meeting Nestor. Got no info from him. But when he met Menelaus and godlike Helen, he did learn something very he claims that Menelaus told him that the old man of the sea, who can tell no lies, told him that Odysseus was trapped on Ogygia with Calypso. What does he tell Penelope that she has been wanting to hear for years and has never heard from a valid source? Yes. Odysseus is alive! <gasps> you think she's going to believe it? It's unbelievable. I mean... Telemachus didn't even believe that Odysseus was in front of him when Odysseus was actually what? In front of him. So, pretty unbelievable. But Theoclemenus the prophet prophesizes that Odysseus is already a hero. And so, uh, Theoclemenus was sent back. Sorry, some time passed. Theoclemenus then showed back up after the gifts were taken to the house of Pariahs. Now he is with uh, Telemachus and he is presenting himself to Penelope uh, because he is uh, the guest of Telemachus. And so Penelope wistfully says that she wishes that what Theoclemenus says was true. Oh, again, she's not going to believe what she hears even when it's true because it's so unbelievable. Meanwhile, the suitors come in to dinner from sport. They were throwing discus. I think they were throwing spears as well. They're like little children. And also against Eumaeus' warning, Odysseus insists on going down into the palace of Odysseus. On the way there, 
they run into Melanthius. I just want to show you this picture of Melanthius. Ooh, this seems to be from like a LARPing reenactment. My goodness. My goodness. What a looker there. What's the first thing you notice about this guy? His teeth. His teeth. Who does he remind us a bit of, knowing that he he's represented here as a rather... He, Homer doesn't actually represent him as an ugly fellow, but often you represent people in visual art as ugly who are who have good or bad morals. Bad, and that's in fact when you watch a Disney movie, often you'll notice that the villain is as handsome or uglier than the hero or protagonist. Think of Jafar as opposed to uh, Aladdin. Jafar is obviously very inhumanly what skinny with a giant long what which reminds you a bit of the Lion King antagonist, who is who? Scar. Compare him to Mufasa, as handsome and strong and noble and golden looking, or dark brown with a long face and a terrible scar on his face. You know where that scar probably came from since Scar is the older brother of Mufasa? Probably he had combat with Mufasa and who won? Mufasa, that's right, so Melanthius. I'll tell you a bit more about him tomorrow. That's a, that's a good place to end for today, I think.